let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're continuing in our series, the book of Acts. We're just going verse by verse, word for word from God's Word. Acts chapter 5, verse 33 is where we find our, our passage this morning. But just to remind you of what took place in the previous passage, uh, previous passages, really, the church began at Pentecost. And from the birth of the church, there was great resistance from the world. The enemy was working through government leaders and religious leaders of all people to stop the proclamation of the gospel. And we've seen in previous passages how it's like this cosmic chess match, that God makes a move, then the devil makes a move. And then it's the Lord's turn, then it's the devil's turn. Last week, uh, Peter addressed the council. The high court, they were arrested. Uh, they were released by an angel late at night. And they were found preaching and teaching the gospel at the very crime scene where they were arrested. So they were rearrested and brought back into the council. And listen to the words uh, that the council gives to the disciples. Acts chapter 5, 28, backing up a few verses, we're told this. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. They can't even say the name Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, referring again to Jesus. They can't say his name. Verse 29 says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. To obey Christ would be to repent and turn to Jesus. We know from Scripture that you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And Jesus tells these same men in John chapter 8, they confront Jesus, and there's this great back and forth. And listen to the words of our Savior as he talks to the same men who are on this council. Jesus says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. How bold is that of our Lord and Savior to stand before those leaders and call them the children of the devil and it's true. Friends, you're either a child of the devil or you're a child of God. Now, the, the world loves to tell everyone that you're a child of God. Have you heard that on TV a lot lately? Uh, the world loves to say, oh, everyone's a child of God. But friends, that is not true. That gives people who are not saved the, the thought that, that perhaps they are saved. But unsaved people need to know they're unsaved. Let me read to you uh, what Paul says the church in Ephesus of what the, the believers were before they got saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of darkness, excuse me, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. David writes in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, 
And in sin, my mother conceived me. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Our world wants all people to think they're saved. The world wants everyone to think the only prerequisite for salvation is to die. If you just simply die, you'll go to heaven. But friends, that's not true. And a question you must be confronted with is, are you saved? Or have you been sitting in church your whole life, or maybe it's your first time here watching online, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Hell will be filled with people who were baptized. Hell will be filled with people who went to church their whole lives. They thought they were saved, but they never truly believed the gospel. How does one go from being a child of the devil to a child of God? Well, the Word of God tells us. John 1.12 tells us this. But to all who receive him, this would be Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is a a rebirth. Have you been born again? Because these religious leaders are religious with a a capital R, and yet they're unsaved people. And this should be very frightening for any person, whether it's you or someone you know who's very religious. But being religious doesn't save anyone. Following man's religions and rules and regulations does not bring about salvation. The Bible says we're saved by grace alone. Children of the devil naturally believe lies. They circulate the lies. They they gravitate towards lies. And they're turned off by the truth. And friends, you see it every day. Our media and our culture bombard you. They bombard the world with lies 24-7, trying to fill your brains with lies. Someone once said, the farther someone gets from the truth, the more they will reject it when they hear it. Can you see that in our world today? A world that's just been believing lies and are so far removed from Scripture that when someone actually quotes Scripture, they call them names. They're rejecting the truth. I share that with you because these leaders are rejecting truth. And they're going after Jesus' men who've been appointed by him to proclaim the Word of God, to proclaim the gospel. And they think, they think that by killing Jesus, they did the work of God. They think that by opposing the apostles, they're doing God's work. They're so blinded by their sin. And yet there are people today who oppose the church. They will resist the gospel and they will attack Christians and they think they're doing God's work. Jesus warned the disciples about this in John 16 too. Jesus said, they will put you out of the synagogues. This will be an excommunication from society. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think... He is offering service to God. That's exactly what's happening here. These men who are opposing the gospel, they're attacking the apostles, are thinking blindly, absolutely blind by their sin, that they're offering service to God. A man came to my office years ago in Texas, and he began to tell me his testimony was new to our church. And I said, tell me about your life story. He never once mentioned Jesus in, in 45 minutes, which I thought was interesting. He claimed to be a Christian. And finally, I just said, you know, I'm a pastor. I ask this question of a lot of people all the time. Are you saved? He goes, well, I was baptized when I was 10. And I said, well, that's great that you know baptism. But are you saved? He says, well, I've gone to church most of my life. Well, that's good that you know church. But do you know Jesus? And when it came down to it, at the end of our conversation, he says, I don't know if I'm saved or not. He had never placed his faith in Jesus. He truly didn't believe the gospel. The children of the devil are are putting the children of God on trial here. And this passage can be broken down in three simple sections if you take notes. I didn't put this in your bulletin, but you can write this down. The passage breaks itself down. Here we're going to have the reaction 
to Peter's sermonette, if you will. The reaction we found in verses 33 through 39. Following the reaction, we'll have the rebuke in verse 40. And that will be followed by, amazingly, the rejoicing in verse 41. So we have the reaction, the rebuke, and the rejoicing. Let's begin with the reaction of this council to the words that Peter just gave them. Verse 33 tells us, when they heard these words, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Now you have to be pretty upset with someone to want to kill them, wouldn't you? Now, this is an, an enraging, uh, an uh, out of control emotion. It's almost a, a very, it's, it's manifested physically. That someone is so upset, they would very physically show it on their face. A gnashing of teeth, a squeezing of their hands, a raising of their voice. And you've heard the expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that's true in this case. You know what that expression means? That children will act just like their parents. Uh, a daughter will act like her mother. A son will act like his father. And here these, these religious leaders are acting just like their father, the devil himself. They're outraged by hearing the truth. And here we see these, this word enraged in the Greek. It's a compound word. It literally means to, it first means through and to cut. It means to cut through something and to, to cut through a hard substance, to cut through wood. Peter's words were accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit. In his words, they, they cut through the heart of the religious leaders. and They brought about great conviction. And they received this conviction in anger. This word is only used twice. This word enraged in the Greek language in the New Testament. The second time we find it is when Luke also uses it in Acts, in Acts 7.54, when he writes, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. This is the exact same word. And they ground their teeth at him. This word brings about just the highest level of, of just disdain and disgust and hatred. And here we see that this word can mean enraged through a visible manifestation of grinding a teeth. These uh, religious leaders thought they were the fact checkers of the day. You know the fact checkers who hear truth and reject it? Well, they were the fact checkers for Jerusalem and they reject the truth. There was no religious freedom, no freedom of speech. Very much like we're seeing in our time today. And all the, these leaders wanted to do was kill the apostles of Jesus Christ. And then we enter verse 34 with the word but. There's going to be a shift here in our story. It's almost as if the, the devil made his move and now the Lord's going to make his move. And the Lord is going to use the most unlikely person to step in to defend the apostles. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a teacher of the law held in high honor by the people. He stood up and gave orders to put the men aside for a little while. This teacher is highly respected by the people, is highly respected by the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ruling council. He would be a, a member of the court. And isn't it amazing that the Lord used this high government official to protect the believers? The Lord first in the previous passage used an angel. He used an angel to break the apostles out of prison. Now he's using a high government official to protect the apostles. And later we'll see when they're put back in jail and an earthquake will come. And the Lord will use an earthquake to, to open the prison doors. The Lord has every resource available at his own disposal. He's using this high ranking official to step in and look at what he says, verse 35. He moved in this leader's heart that the leader would tell the, the, the council, men of, men of Israel, take care 
that what you are doing, uh, uh, about what you're doing to these men. He's saying very carefully, be careful what you're about to do. And he's going to give them a history lesson. He's going to give them two examples of why they should tread lightly in this particular case and why it's really no big deal. Or maybe it's a very big deal. One or the other is so explained. Verse 36 says, for, for before these days, uh, Thudius uh, rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. And we don't know much about this man, but here those men know a lot about this man. The scriptures tell us he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. And we see a comparison here that Gamaliel is rising up between the apostles and following Jesus. And he's saying, look, their leader was killed. If Jesus was killed and they were following Jesus, we have nothing to worry about, right, man? And he gives a second example. And he says, and how about uh, verse 37? After him, Judas, uh, the Galilean, he rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And Gamaliel is simply saying, gentlemen, it could be the very same case for Jesus. I remember years ago, a friend of mine went to Cuba on a mission trip with Josh McDowell and Josh McDowell's ministry. And as soon as they landed at the airport, the uh, Cuban government came by the airplane on, on both sides. They're taxiing in with the jeeps that had the machine guns on the, on the back. And the soldiers greeted them. The doors opened. They all stepped off the airplane. And the, the, whoever the commander of the army was right there on the, the tarmac said, who is the head of your group? And they all pointed to Josh McDowell. How do you like to be Josh at that moment? And uh, he said, I am the head of this, this mission trip. And they said, sir, you're not welcome in our country. You need to leave and go back to the United States. And what the government thought at that time was, if we could just get rid of the head, the body will die. But what uh, Josh McDowell told his crew, and they knew already, is they could send me home, but I'm not the head. Jesus is the head. And he prayed for them, and it went on their way, and Josh went back to Minnesota, and they had an amazing week of ministry. And here, this government leaders here think that they can just get rid of Jesus, and the, the body will die. But little did they know that when they killed Jesus, they launched his ministry. The death of Christ gave birth to his movement. It didn't kill his movement. Verse 38 says, so in this, Gamaliel continues, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But, big but, if this is of God, you will never be able to overthrow it. Your work will be in vain. And the only way for us to know if this is from man or God is to let this continue. Gamaliel comes to their defense, but friends, this is bad theology. Because Gamaliel is saying whatever continues to move on will be of God, but that's not entirely true in our world. Because there are bad theologies and bad teachings and religions and cults that thrive today. And that doesn't mean because they're thriving, they're of God. But here the question is, is will this sway the, the council? He says, you might even be opposing God. By opposing the gospel and the proclamation of their message, gentlemen, you, you could be opposing the very one we think we're defending. We think we're operating on God's behalf by punishing them and having them be silent. But have you considered, have you considered the thought that we could be opposing the one who we're, we're worshiping? And look what they do. How will the council respond? They took his advice. This... This doesn't mean that if it wasn't Gamiel, they wouldn't have taken the counsel from someone else. But perhaps it had to be this particular man that the Lord used to speak reason. I had a friend, uh, Chris, 
years ago who worked at Blockbuster Video. Some of you are old enough to remember Blockbuster Video. And he was uh, in a back room one day and a friend was going through a difficult time. And Chris said, can I just pray for you? Do you believe in prayer? And the person wasn't real familiar with how to pray. And Chris said, can I tell you my story? And just in their break room as they're having their lunch, Chris shared the gospel. And it was overheard by another worker who didn't like it, who felt very offended. And that manager, the person went and told the manager. The manager came and sat Chris down and said, you are not to speak in that name. Does that sound familiar? And said, if you speak about Jesus again while you're working, then we're going to ask you to leave. You'll be fired. Chris said, hey, no problem. He asked me, but okay. A couple uh, days later in the break room, someone else comes up to Chris. He was just a magnet. The Lord used him in great ways to share the gospel. People said, uh, this person said, Chris, I, I understand you're a person of faith. And uh, what does it mean to be saved? So Chris shared the gospel with them again. And it was overheard by another person who took offense. Chris was called in the manager's office and said, you're fired. You're fired immediately. And I love that story because the question I have for us is, when was the last time you rented a video from Blockbuster? Today, Chris is a preacher in Virginia, and he preaches the gospel every Sunday morning. And just like Blockbuster Video, those who oppose the gospel throughout the ages will go to their ruin. They will go to their grave. Every government, every emperor, and then what we see is the gospel continues to advance. And here these men at this council try to shut down the gospel, and they're dead and gone. And here we are preaching the gospel 2,000 years later. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The second section we see here is the rebuke. They're going to let these apostles have it. And friends, if Gamaliel had not stood up, Gamaliel, there's a chance they could have received the death penalty in that moment because this council had the power to to make sure they were executed. This is the same council that took Jesus before the Roman Empire to be crucified. Gamaliel stepped in and saved their lives that day. And now we're going to get the rebuke. Verse 40. And when they call the apostles, they beat them. The commentators I've read said this isn't just a a punch in the face. More than likely, this was a a 40 lashings minus one. This was a scourging, just like Jesus received. This would have been whips on the back. The commentators say they would have walked away from this scene very bloody, unable to put their shirts back on their backs, their garments, because of the pain. So here they received this beating. And what these leaders were trying to do, the enemy was using the government to to inflict pain tolerance or or pain uh, obedience, uh, to have them obey them through pain. They beat them and they charged them. That was a pointing of the finger and told them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. In other words, you think this beating is bad. We're going to beat you to the point of death, but we're not going to kill you this time. But you are not to proclaim the gospel anymore. This would have been very discouraging, I would imagine. And here the enemy is using this cord and this council to inflict pain. But how will the apostles respond and react? Verse 41 tells us. In this section here we call rejoicing. Verse 41 says, And when they left the presence of the council, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. This were shouts of praise. How could they be praising right now? How could they have shouts of rejoicing and praising God? Friends, it's by God's grace. It's God's grace that in the the face of great pain, in the face of great suffering and opposition, that he would bestow grace upon grace on the apostles in this particular moment, that they're not complaining about the pain they're going through, 
They're not complaining about the suffering. They're not saying, Lord, we serve you. We've done all these great things for you. How could you let this happen to us? I think sometimes we're tempted to think that way, aren't we? When we go through a difficult time or season and we think, Lord, I've been serving you faithfully for so long. How how could you allow this to happen? But the Lord isn't doing this to them. He's doing it for them and for the good of their faith and for the good of the, the church and for the good of the gospel. They are rejoicing. And it's very tempting for you and I to be through, go through difficult seasons and to not rejoice. But friends, we are to seek the Lord during that time and ask the Lord for a heart of rejoicing and for a heart of gladness. If you like football, you know that anytime the, the offense is on the field, the defense is on the field as well. I've never seen a game and I played in middle school in football, but never once did I step foot on the field as the offense and have no defense. The defense is always there standing about six inches from your face. And if you watch a football game, the defense is never going after the spectators, are they? They're never tackling people in the stands. And they're, never, they're not tackling the, the referees. They're not tackling the cheerleaders. And specifically, they're going after the person who has the ball. The apostles have the ball. And friends, the question for you and I is, are, are you a spectator in the gospel mission that we're given? Or are you a referee walking around the church trying to find people to judge? Or are you a person with the ball? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you supporting and encouraging your team, the church, as we move to advance the gospel? Ever heard of a guy named Walter Payton? Walter Payton had a combined yards of 4,368 in his career. Uh, Excuse me, combined uh, net attempts, his yards were 21,803. Nearly 22,000 yards. He had 750 points scored in 125 touchdowns. Peyton won the NFC rushing title five straight years from 1976 through the rest of the years after that. His rushing yards were 16,700, career receptions nearly 500, and 13 seasons. And if you watch Walter Peyton play, you've got to wonder how could he have achieved all that? Because every time he gets up, he runs three yards and he gets tackled. Every time he gets up, he, he tries to run the ball and he, he gets tackled behind the line. Or maybe he had a great catch, but every time he got the ball, he was tackled. How did he achieve those things? He did it with great endurance and perseverance. He did it by working as a team. And friends, we have to resist the temptation when we come to church of tackling each other, of beating each other down. As a gospel church, as a gospel community, we are to advance the ball by supporting and praying for one another, not tackling one another. Not discouraging one another. Could you imagine Walter Payton being tackled by his own offensive line every time he tried to run the ball? They weren't tackling him. They're blocking for him. And we are to block for one another. We are to be a part of a, a co-laboring effort with the, co, the, the co-mission the Lord has called us to. And friends, every time that you do a gospel activity, every time you want to advance the ball forward, no matter what mission you're a part of or mission group or Sunday school class or even in your own life, you may say today, Lord, I want to... I want to move forward in my faith. You need to know you're going to be met with resistance, that the enemy is going to do all that he can to discourage you and to beat you down. Maybe some of you are in a season right now where you decided, I want to live for Christ, and you're just being discouraged and beat down in every area that you're walking. Just persevere. Let the church come together and surround you and encourage you. Let us walk forward together. Jesus said in Matthew 5:11, blessed are you, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter other, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, 
Jesus said, blessed are you when people oppose you for the sake of the gospel. Next, we're told they were praising God. Why are the apostles praising God? Well, the verse tells us. Here we see that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They weren't just uh, attacked arbitrarily. They weren't beaten just because uh, the, the leadership didn't like the clothes they were wearing or the neighborhood from which they came. They were associated with Jesus. Years ago, I can't account for any kind of persecution really in my life like you read in the Bible or hear about around the world. But when we were in Paris in 97, that's when my, when my wife and I met. And when she saw me, she said, ooh la la. <laughs> but my senior pastor at the time said, no, Charlie, it's more like ooh la la. But when we, we were in Paris doing ministry and they took us to the most Muslim district of Paris. And we're handing out uh, New Testaments in French. And this group of men came from around the corner and there's about six or eight of them. They surrounded me and they pushed me down. They spit right on my face. And I thought for sure I'm going to go. I'm, I'm dying. Jesus, open up your heavens. Here I come. And I just had so much peace come over me. And I got up and I just simply told him, Jesus loves you. But it was the grace of God. It wasn't anything I did. When they saw me, they didn't say there's a Redskin fan or he's from Virginia or he's from America. They didn't know where I was from and what I did. They just saw Jesus when they saw me handing out gospel tracts, New Testaments. Friends, do, do people see Jesus in you? Do they know that you are distinct from the world or do you blend in with the world? Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you. But if you were of Christ, you're not of the world and people will hate you. And look at what they did. Did they stop their mission? Did they, did they say, you know what, Jesus, we're not going to participate in this gospel community anymore? Because we were beaten and yelled at by the authorities. We were in prison twice. We could die, Jesus. We're not going to do this. That's not what they do. Verse 42 gives us great encouragement and direction today. No matter how much opposition the church faces, look at how the apostles respond. Verse 42. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Let me read that again. And remember the scene here. And every day, not every Sunday, not, not every other Sunday, not once a month, every day. It was a part of their lifestyle. It was a part of their routine. It was who they are, who they were at the core of their being. And every day in the temple and from house to house, door to door, in their neighborhoods, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They had much to lose but everything to gain. And they knew where they were going when they died. They knew that people without the gospel message or faith in it were going to go to hell. And their mission was far more important than the pain that they suffered. And now this leads us to the most important question. Are you ready? On a count of three. One, two, three. So what? So what? What do we do with this passage? How do we apply it to our lives? How do we bring it into our day and time? And the number one way is this is the Lord can use any means to support his people. It doesn't mean that every time he's going to step in and bail us out if we get in trouble with the gospel. And sometimes part of his plan is for us to suffer. And it's for our good. It's for the good of the kingdom. But the Lord has every means at his disposal. First he used the angel and now he's using a high court official. This official was there and impressed upon his heart by the Lord to protect the Christians. I can't imagine as he stood there and watched them get beaten, what that must have looked like or sounded like as the apostles screamed from the pain, but they were released. 
And friends, we need to pray for open doors and opportunities for the gospel. We should have no fear of man, no fear of governments that will oppress the, the, the Christian message, no fear of anyone except for fear of the Lord. And are you praying for opportunities? The Lord can use angels, high government officials, earthquakes. He used the Red Sea against Pharaoh for God's people in Egypt. Number two is this. Number two, so what? Is proclamation is accompanied by persecution. We must realize that we're going to be persecuted. It's part of the plan. If we're going to, to press against the world, the world is going to press against us. We cannot think for a second that we could proclaim the gospel or share the gospel with a, a friend or family member and not face some resistance of any kind. They go hand in hand. We are not to be afraid of the world. Number three, so what is this? And finally, are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Where do you stand? Who is your father? Do you think that your religion will save you or have you placed your faith wholly and entirely on the work of Jesus Christ to save you? A question I have for people who will tell me that they're saved, I'll say, that's great. How do you know? And they'll say, well, you know, I, they'll either say because Jesus died for my sins or they'll say, well, because I do lots of good things. I go to church from time to time and you could fill in the blank. How would you answer that question? How do you know you're saved? Jesus said in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one of you is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Friends, what did you contribute to your first birth? Absolutely nothing. In your first birth, you didn't pray and ask God to be born. In the second birth, our spiritual birth is completely and wholly and entirely up to God. Are you born again today? Here are several ways I want to leave you this, this morning with ways that you could share your faith with those around you. Number one is this. You could ask people how you could pray for them. Praying for people is a great way to share the gospel. You could even share it indirectly and say to them, now that you've given me ways to pray for you, can I pray for you right now? And pray their prayer requests and then pray the gospel over them. They will be hearing the gospel as you pray it. Thank the Father that he sent the Son to die in this person's place. And that all the wrath that was deserved for us was placed on Jesus Christ the cross. He was died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Thank you for the glorious resurrection. You could pray that over someone and they'll be hearing the gospel as you pray it. Number two is you could ask people if they died today, would they go to heaven or hell? And say, hey, we're talking about this subject at our church every Sunday. Where do you stand? And see what they tell you. Number three is you could ask people to tell you their story and see where Jesus is in their story. And see if Jesus comes up at all and say, you know, your story's amazing, but you never mentioned your relationship with God. And you could share the gospel with them. And then number four is to invite, invite, invite people to come with us on Sunday morning as we worship Jesus Christ. And not just every Sunday morning, but throughout the week as you attend your small groups and activities in the church. Tonight is a fantastic time to come and invite a non-believing friend as we hear the gospel sung. Matt, uh, I can't believe you came out three times to Texas. And the first time he came out, I said, now, are you going to share the gospel at the end or am I? And he says, what do you mean we sing the gospel for the next hour? I said, touche, you got me. Every song is going to be the gospel proclaimed. Invite some friends tonight to come and hear the gospel message. How wonderful would it be if they come tonight and get saved at our gospel concert? And then fifth and finally is to pray for lost people in your life. You have no idea how the Lord will use the power of prayer as you pray for lost people. I had a, a very lost person close to me who lived on the other side of the country. And I prayed for years, Lord, would you please send someone to, to share the gospel 
with that one I'm praying for, this friend? God, would you just send someone who's faithful into that person's world and share the gospel with them that they might believe? And lo and behold, this person uh, was on the East Coast, and a woman moved from Africa and was in the vicinity of this person, friend I was praying for, and their, and their path crossed very briefly for just a moment. And this woman from Africa shared the gospel with my friend, and my friend got saved. And I thought, wow, Lord, I prayed for years, and you sent someone from Africa to the East Coast to share the gospel with them? And this was happening when I lived in Texas, and then I felt so convicted, and I said, Lord, I wonder how many people are praying from all around the country and the world for their lost family members where I live, that the Lord will send someone faithful to share the gospel with them. And I began to desire to share the gospel with everybody around me because I thought, you know, someone's praying for this person's salvation. They they have a loved one who is saved, who is praying that God will send someone who's faithful. Friends, think about the people in Raleigh who are being prayed for by relatives all around the world. Have you considered that? That the Lord will send someone faithful to share the gospel message with them. Are you the one? Are you the one the Lord wants to use to bless that person by giving them the grace of the gospel message? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this glorious gospel. Father, we see here that your work will not be stopped. And governments and leaders, no matter how hard they try to blow out the candle of the gospel, they will fade away, but your work will continue. Lord, thank you so much for that we live in such a time as this. In this darkened world that we are surrounded by people who are far from you. God, help us to believe your word. That we would truly believe your word and put faith in the gospel message. It is the power of God to save burden our hearts, convict our spirits to proclaim the gospel message with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.